Welcome to another episode of Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Kirsten Holder, and today we're talking about Spyro Mounds. I'm here with the team from the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. We have Dr. Eric Singleton, Museum Curator of Ethnology, Gretchen Jean, Director of Education, and Seth Spillman, Chief Marketing Officer. Located in present-day eastern Oklahoma, the Spyro Mounds are one of the United States' most important Native American sites, as well as an archaeological find unmatched in modern times. And I will say, those are not hype words. This is not an understatement. This is a big deal. Uh, the National Cowboy Museum opens the exhibition, Spyro and the Art of the Mississippian World, on February 12th, with support from Spyro and descendants, Cato Nation and Wichita and affiliated tribes, and they were funded through the National Endowments for the Humanities, the Henry Luce Foundation, and the Kirkpatrick Foundation. This is the first major presentation on Spyro Mounds ever undertaken by a museum, representing the first and possibly last time these artifacts will be reunited from various collections across the country. This exhibition is open at the National Cowboy Museum until May 12th, but then it will move on to the Birmingham Museum of Art and the Dallas Museum of Art. So I'm so excited to learn more about what we can see uh, if we come visit this exhibition. And I'm so glad we're here today with Eric Gretchen and Seth. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for so, having us. Of course. Yeah. So after reading a little bit more about this exhibition, I learned that the Spyro and people, along with other Mississippian groups across the eastern half of North America, created a world comparable to that of the Aztec, Maya, or Inca, consisting of trade networks and highly developed social, political, and religious centers. Spyro mounds have been referred to as the King Tut's tomb in Arkansas Valley, which all of those things are huge comparisons, and yet the world doesn't really seem to know much about Spyro, at least as they do King Tut. So Eric, since this is your exhibition, can you speak a little bit more into why these comparisons have been drawn and why the Spyro mounds have been nearly forgotten? Yeah, um, you know, those comparisons are quite apt in, in that what you find at Spyro is the single largest source of Mississippian material ever discovered in North America. And you're looking at thousands of objects that came to this site at a specific period in time. And we compare it to the Aztec, the, you know, the Inca, just to kind of let people understand that what you see here in the Eastern half of the United States is a, is a community and culture just as advanced, just as sophisticated and, um, and just as important to be remembered. Uh, as any other. And so their descendants are, you know, the Caddo and the Wichita, but the people who made these items were also descended from the Cherokee, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, the Muscogee, the Ponca, uh, the Kansas. I mean, it literally goes on and on. Uh, Pawnee, Lakota, Osage. I mean, you're looking at um, a cultural group that stretched across half the United States. Which is again, outstanding that so many of those artifacts came together in the first place. Um, unfortunately though, with sites of this magnitude comes looting of equal magnitude. Can you tell us about how you were able to locate so many artifacts that were originally found at Spire Mounds um, to even put together this exhibition? And maybe why these artifacts have been hidden for so long? Yeah, well, you know, it was the single, not as late as it, 
the most object laden site. It is one of the single largest acts of looting in American history. And so they looted this site for two years uh, before the state stepped in and uh, passed some of the Oklahoma's first antiquity acts. And so you're looking at the disbursement of objects across the world. Um, and it's just taken a long time to track this material down. Um, they're in a countless, and I mean that truly, number of museums. And so you have a, a limited selection and it just took years of actually going to um, different institutions, contacting people, trying to just piece this material together. And um, again, it couldn't have been done without the support of the Caddo and the Wichita and, 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 and just how open museums have been to seeing the story told. And, and they should, because it's important to realize that this is America's classic culture. I mean, you should be looking at this as, 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 as the classic antiquity, which is the, the foundation and backbone of, of North America and, and just be darn proud of it. It's, it's really remarkable. And for it to be here too, we're so close yep. to it, you know, and so we need to know that history. Absolutely. And it's, it's a wonderful history. I think it's just extraordinarily enlightening. It is, and I want to know more about that. So through your studies, do you have any clues as to why the downfall or what the downfall of Spiral Mountains was? You know, there were so many different tribes, as you mentioned, that came together, that traded. This was a very cosmopolitan city in your words. Um, why did so many different artifacts, why were they left behind? What does it mean to Spyro and descendants and other tribes um, that are working with you to have these objects showcased along with their stories? I mean, tell us a little bit more about, about what's going on in Spyro then and what we need to know about it now. Yeah, um, you know, that's always been a big question is why Spyro? Um, and if you look at history, whether it's in North America or anywhere else in the world, you start asking, how do you get nearly an entire continent of people that simultaneously collapse at one time? And, you know, you start really kind of thinking, well, there's not a large scale uh, war here. There's no system of conquest, it appears. So what is what's really left? What could affect this many people? And the answer is environment. And so then through soil sampling and other uh, uh, scientific processes, you know, we started to figure out that you're looking at an extended period of, of uh, what we call a little ice age, which created um, these uh, 15, 20 year periods of drought. And so you're really looking at everyone consolidating their pieces at Spiro in order to counter drought. And so today we use science, uh, they used religion. And so it was, they were attempting to basically restart time, uh, you know, similar to the Abrahamic face and the understanding of uh, the Genesis story. You know what happened on day one, day two, day three. Well, they knew that too. And so it's a part of a long series of revitalization movements that we see in the historic period. Well, they happened in the prehistoric period too. And I think this was one of those revitalization movements, which again, makes Spyro truly unique. No other instance have we ever seen of this occurring on such a large scale. So you talk about um, Little Ice Age and you talk about kind of restarting time. I can't imagine the uh, desperation of how people might've been feeling 
at that point in time. And maybe that's why, you know, so many of their most prized possessions came together in one place. Is that kind of what you're taking away from it as well? Yeah. I mean, you got to think, I mean, this is the holiest of holies for so many people. Like, why would you get rid of your most precious things? And, and the answer is because, in my opinion, you don't have a choice. Uh, you're trying anything you can to change the environment, to actually bring back crops. And that's why you see the systematic and complete collapse of the Mississippian period at about 1400. It, it wasn't one site. It was all of them. And it lasted until 1650. So when we have conversations about uh, Thanksgiving, you know, and why was it hard for Europeans to get a foothold here? The likely answer is because environment, you know, crops just weren't able to be grown on such a large scale. If you have a huge population base, well, you need to feed that base. And if rains aren't coming, then you're not going to have uh, the agricultural base necessary to feed them. So what you're going to have is the collapse of large cities and the disbursement of, into small village-like groups. And that's that's what happened. And, and, and honestly, we're dealing with it now. I mean, if we're not careful, without some very strategic ways of thinking about this, uh, with water levels rising and everything else, you're going to get tornado patterns changing, uh, more ice occurring further south. And because people don't understand that uh, water currents and wind all play a role in this symbiotic relationship of keeping the world um, in a constant, you know, constant balance. Imagine putting something on a cooking pot and changing the temperature. Will you immediately change the consistency of the interior of that pot? So. And I'm sure in your field, watching history repeat itself can be a little frustrating. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, especially when the it, study of history. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially when so many people tell you what's going to happen next and then you watch it happen. <laughs> yes. So, but hey, that's, that's it, you know, then that gives us another reason to write a book in 10 years. <laughs> exactly. So again, maybe another hard part of your job, in addition to watching um, some portions of history repeat itself, hopefully not all, hopefully because of jobs like yours, we're learning and we're growing forward. Um, but another hard part of your job might be picking a favorite portion of your own exhibition. Do you have a favorite object, um, an artifact that is showcased in Spiral Mounds? Uh, the truth is, which, and I've said this, is whichever one I'm looking at. Um, because they really are so unique and they're so different. You're looking at copper, you're looking at engraved shell, you're looking at stone statues, uh, wooden figures. They're all so different and so unique. And it's so, I think, counter to what people expect. You know, you're taught this, this narrative of uh, indigenous people living on the plains and teepees. And the truth is that that's such a small majority of the population um, and that they were actually mining and refining copper and then moving it 1200 miles away. So you're looking at huge trade networks that stretched into Central America, up the Great Lakes, to the Atlantic coast, to the Pacific, the Sea of Cortez. So yeah, they're all pretty remarkable. I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to say you don't walk in and see Spiro and textiles. I mean, tell me how many people have seen those and I can count them on two hands. Wow. So 
just, it sounds like just the variety that's there is enough to just come and kind of connect those dots, the different pieces that you can see all in one place. Sounds remarkable. Absolutely. And you will never see these together again. This is the first time that most of these pieces have been reunited since they were unearthed in the 1930s. And I will wager that you'll never see them again. So do it now or, um, or have fun looking in the book. Do it now or never is what I'm hearing. Yep. That's a that's enough of a selling point for me. I'm going to take my family there while I still can. Perfect. So, Seth and Gretchen, I've left you waiting in the wings a little too long. I'm so sorry. Let's let's pull you into the conversation. Um, what does this mean for families? Uh, Gretchen, you are the director of education at the National Cowboy Museum. I know you have a long lineup of events ranging from teacher events to just activities for kids. So let's start with opportunities for educators especially since there's so much pressure on teachers at the moment. Um, what kind of continued learning opportunities are you hosting in conjunction with this exhibition? And what are you hoping teachers might pass along to their students about Spiro Mounds? Well, we hosted a virtual teacher workshop Saturday, February 27th. Uh, we had partnered with the College of Education Professional Studies at UCO to present an opportunity to learn more about Spyro. Teachers heard from Eric, uh, as well as had access to a teaching packet, which included background information, curriculum guides, and activities that can be done with students grades K through 12, um, either at home or from the classroom. Uh, and that information is available online. They can, the teaching packet can be downloaded or they can view it online, as well as a virtual 360 tour of the exhibition. Uh, and my hope that teachers and students will explore the ideas of origin and connect the art and artistry of the spiral people to their modern descendants. Absolutely, that's well said. I mean, that is something, what else, is our hope for the next generation to pass on these these bits of knowledge, this respect, this foundation for where we're all from. Um, and another thing that stood out to me is you said 360 uh, virtual tour, which is just so fun. I can imagine teachers, but also parents mm -hmm. really looking forward to watching that with their kids when they need a little study break from school at home. Very much. <laughs> So this exhibition coincides also with spring break, which is a great opportunity to give kids and parents, again, that much needed change of scenery we all are striving for right now during the uh, pandemic. Learning something new together is such a great way to strengthen families, to create those memories for the long run. And again, we talked about passing along Oklahoma's history, which this truly is Oklahoma's history um, and culture to the next generation. It looks like all of that upcoming activities for kids are drop-in, which is so nice for busy families. But can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly those drop-in activities are doing or anything else that families and kids can look forward to within the exhibition? Sure, we have a lot lined out for families. Spring break activities will be drop-in, as you mentioned, March 15th through the 19th, anytime between 10 a.m. until 2 uh, while our supplies last, finally, families can drop in and try their hand at a variety of craft techniques. So creating figures and animals from clay, making scratch art gorgettes. Uh, Tanya Weevil, a Cherokee national treasure in textiles, will be with us one day uh, to teach about weaving technique of twining. 
Uh, in addition to spring break activities, we have our kids take over the cowboy program, which is the first Saturday of the month. In April, kids can learn about using natural materials to create different colors of dye and get to uh, take a little piece of fabric home that they've dyed while they're here. Uh, and in the exhibition, there are touch stations uh, as well as a dedicated family space where families can take a break, watch some videos about Spyro that are presented by kids. Uh, there's some interactives where you can complete a pottery puzzle and different styles of weavings. And we actually have two different virtual reality stations uh, that uh, families and kids can try out. We're super excited about having those elements in the exhibition. That is so cool. Oh my goodness. So I, for the people that listen to this podcast, I have a toddler at home. So I'm always kind of interested in hearing, you know, can I take him to an exhibition like this? It sounds like you've got all ages covered with, you know, I could, I'd feel comfortable with my toddler participating in that puzzle, but he'd also love to see some of those videos. And then maybe even the teen preteen with the VR technology. That is so fun. Yeah. We're excited to have it. That is great. There are so many experts um, that you guys bring in to talk about different portions of the exhibition. You do these lunch and learn style events um, that are so fun. And from what I can see, they're all virtual right now. Is that correct? Yes, um, the, the brown bag lunch and learn series that you mentioned, those will be all virtual. It kicks off March 4th and runs every Thursday through May 6th, so 10 weeks of content experts covering a wide range of areas about Spyro, but we will have other programming on site as well because we are a large museum where we are able to socially distance much of our programming. Uh, so we'll have plenty on online and virtual, but also plenty to do on site as well. That's great. It's nice to give those options, especially um, as we're hopefully coming to the light at the end of the tunnel um, of the pandemic. The Cherokee Beadwork Workshop definitely caught my eye, um, as did the expert talk from Dr. Carol Diaz Grandos, archaeologist, excuse me, archaeologist and research associate in the Department of Anthropology at Washington University. This, these are great people coming in. Do you have classes that you are most excited about? I know this is kind of a hard question, um, as the one I asked Eric about picking a favorite artifact, but, but which, which classes are you most excited about coming up? Well, I've been working on Spyro, not as long as Eric, but quite a while. So I'm excited to finally be, to be able to share all of the programming that we have lined out. Um, you had mentioned uh, the Cherokee beadwork class. I'm looking forward to that. I like um, the learn by doing activities. I like to dig in myself and do those. So in addition to the beadwork class, um, we've got a traditional Caddo pottery techniques class that Chase Earls will be teaching. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one as well. That sounds really nice right now. Kind of relax with just learning and, <laughs> and doing at the same time. That That's right. <laughs> so Seth, this exhibition and the related events are just wonderful. I'm, I'm getting, I was excited about it before this podcast began and now hearing you guys talk about it, I'm just all the more in to it. Um, what an honor, but also a responsibility it, it is to house an exhibition of this magnitude. As a marketing mind myself, I have so many questions. Um, I'll try to pace myself a bit here, but what does an exhibition like this mean to the National Cowboy Museum? Um, you know, so many of us grew up in Oklahoma thinking of this museum just as the cowboy. 
Is this the first of many iconic shows dedicated to Native American ancestry and culture to come? Well, obviously this is a big one, uh, but it's far from the first and it won't be the last. So uh, I like to tell people that as you heard Eric talking about the significance of the show, uh, the kind of thing that hasn't been done before and most likely because of the complexity won't be done again. This is the kind of show that as Oklahomans, we would be familiar with traveling to Kansas City or Dallas to go see. This is in our own backyard. It's happening right here in Oklahoma City. Um, it's running through May 9th. So it's definitely the kind of show that you wanna come out and see, but um, it's indicative of the caliber of exhibition that you're gonna see at this museum on a daily basis. Uh, this is the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. It's not the Oklahoma Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. It's a national museum in our own backyard. So uh, this is certainly one of the bigger ones, but you're gonna see this kind of uh, exhibition going on here uh, whenever you visit. That's well said. When it's just down the street, it's easy to take for granted, but uh, you do host just remarkable exhibitions, and this is no exception to that. Um, Seth, also, can you give us a little details about museum visitation? I know you guys have safety protocols in place. Um, anything that families should know about or anything else they can enjoy that's new while visiting the Spyro exhibition? Yeah, so Gretchen mentioned, um, if you haven't been in the museum before, uh, or haven't been in the exhibition side, you may not realize just how large the space is. It's 200,000 square feet under roofs, so there's plenty of room to spread out. Uh, safety is obviously a top priority uh, with an, a mask mandate uh, in Oklahoma City uh, that helped create a safe environment here. So we certainly um, are following that mask mandate. We have sanitization stations throughout the museum. And you're gonna have, uh, again, an opportunity to uh, roam the museum at your own pace, spread out, um, and see all kinds of new and fun things. So Spyro, as I mentioned, uh, this exhibition will be up through May 9th, but there's just so much that's happened in the last year. We actually uh, opened a 100,000 square foot expansion to our outdoor area called Licha Koshkamo, which is Chickasaw for Let's Play. Um, it's a hands-on, minds-on, STEM kind of uh, experience. Again, an outdoor experience, which is something a little bit different for us. We've had grounds for many years, but we haven't had them activated in this way. And that's one that uh, opened right in the middle of 2020. We were actually scheduled to open spring break last year, right before we closed down. And so uh, while we've been open for about a year now, we know that many of your listeners probably haven't had an opportunity to come see it yet. So we're excited about having a 2021 experience for many people in spring and summer. Uh, and then also during that time that um, uh, of 2020, uh, we had a complete renovation of our permanent galleries. So Spyro is one of those temporary exhibitions, but we have uh, a number of items that are on display constantly, uh, part of our permanent uh, collection. And so our Atherton Gallery, our permanent Western art uh, gallery, went through an extensive renovation that opened in November. And so we added uh, 75 different new items to that, um, changed the, the way that those items are displayed by putting historical objects next to, next to some of the um, the Western art and the way, so you'll see the objects that are portrayed in the art right next to each other. And so again, if you haven't been since November, uh, then you haven't been yet and you need to come and experience that. Fresh start. I like it. That sounds good. That sounds good for especially the time period we're in right now. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I am so proud of the new direction this museum is taking and engaging all voices and stories of the American West. And I know you all are as well. 
there are so many, not just the cowboy. You all are doing such a beautiful job. And I cannot wait to bring my family to this once in a lifetime exhibition and see some of these other new things that Seth has mentioned as well. For those of you that would like to find out a little bit more, you can visit www.nationalcowboymuseum.org. Um, ticket prices, all their safety protocols, and a little bit more information about the exhibition can be found there as well. Thanks again for all of you listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.